Uh-huh. <laughs> we had this lady in, in Ada, and she always sat down on the front row, and I, I would ask a question, and she would answer it. <laughs> you know, I'd say, you know something? She said, no, but you're going to tell us. <laughs> I'm here to tell you whatever you need, God is. We're talking this summer about overcoming the obstacles. And all of us have hang-ups and obstacles and problems and issues and situations that quite frankly take us to the edge or push us over. Ann Landers gets 10,000 letters a week. The number one issue that she deals with is not children, not marriage, not finances, not even sex. The number one question she deals with is fear. Fear is a thing that grips us, and yet Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But Jesus said, in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear. There are 700 phobias in the dictionary. Now, if you don't have anything else to do this week, you might want to go look them all up, but let me just give you a few of them. Uh, acrophobia is the fear of high places. Claustrophobia, the fear of tight places or closed-in places. Agoraphobia is the fear of open places. Then there's a big one that I think is increasing in America. It's ergophobia. That's the fear of work. Phobophobia, the fear of fear. We have the fear of rejection, the fear of being alone, the fear of losing our family, the fear of losing our health, the fear of dying, the fear of failure, the fear of success, the fear that somebody that we put our trust in will let us down, the fear of being alone when we get older, the fear of losing our minds. You know, we have come to a point in our society where we realize that there are sometimes things worse than dying. Sometimes it's living. We have a fear of living. Anything that pushes us out of our comfort zone, anything that stretches us beyond where we feel secure and safe, those things can bring fear into our life. And fear can begin to dominate us and to put us in bondage and to, to put us in an area of life where we are uh, become so ground down that we're like something that happens to machinery when sand gets in it. Our life comes to a halt. We don't know what to do and we don't know where to go. And some of our fears are big and some of our fears are small, but it's how we handle them. I remember playing Little League that... The first two times I got up to bat, I got beamed on the side of the head. I have always had a fear of a high inside pitch. I do not like it at all. And I don't trust anybody that tells me they're going to throw it outside because they might lose control and throw it inside. I have a fear of a three-foot putt to try to save bogey. Those of you that are golfers understand. 
You know, it's, it's just trying to hold on and not be an embarrassment. I, I took a group of men uh, to Bay, Arnold Palmer's Bay Hill Lodge this past week, and, and about 12, 14 of us went, and, and we played golf until we didn't know what to do, and, and fellowshiped and ate. We ate and ate and ate, and then we played golf and then ate. And, but but uh, my greatest fear was that as a 45-year-old man, some of these guys would beat me who were old enough to be my dad or granddad. And one of them did. And I'm going to preach on humility and how I learned it next week. <laughs> but fear's a reality. I mean, we, we all have fears, if we're honest. And one of the things that, that I'm afraid of in the church is we're afraid to tell each other what is going on in our lives because we're afraid how people will receive us. We don't want to tell the truth. That's why more people tell the truth to bartenders than they do in Sunday school classes because they know the bartender just listened. It'll go in one ear and out the other, and they can kind of share what's going on, but they're not sure in their Sunday school class that people will keep their mouth shut. And so there's fear. And so here's what we do. We walk into church every Sunday. We get dressed. We put on our clothes. We look good. We style. We get all in the mirror. We make sure everything's okay. And then we do this. Good to see you. How are you? Good to see you. How's everything going? Oh, great. Super, super wonderful. Never been better. Never been better. And on the inside, you're dying. But we come and we put up the facade because we're Christians. We're not supposed to have any problems. We're not supposed to have hang-ups. We're not supposed to have fear. Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And if I admit that I've got fears, then something's wrong with me. It just may be your focus is out of whack. It may be that not anything serious is wrong with you. You just have got your eyes on the wrong thing. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to focus on this issue of fear. There are two kinds of fear. They're listed in your notes there, so we won't take time to look at all those. There's respectful fear and there's slavish fear. Now, respectful fear is that fear that we have for God because we realize that our God is a holy God and he sits on a throne high and lifted up. And although we can call him Abba Father, we still have reverence and respect for God for who he is and for what he has done. That's good fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to be smart, fear God. That's what the writer of Proverbs says. But then there's slavish fear and that puts people in bondage. And they begin to, to be fearful of things and people and circumstances and situations. And sometimes they curl up in the fetal position and don't even go out. And sometimes they just die alone. Sometimes they're afraid to be in public. People say all the time, I, I'd be scared to death to do what you do. And I'm scared to death to do what some other people do. You know, it just depends on who you are and how you're made and your personality and, and your bent and your experiences, what your fears might be. And so I want us to look at the first instance of fear. It's found in Genesis chapter 3. Now we're going to do a lot of hopping around in the Bible today, so if you've got thumb index, you've got an advantage on somebody else. Uh, if you don't, just kind of uh, hold on and keep your hand in the table of contents, and you can find it that way maybe. But we're in Genesis chapter 3, the first occurrence of fear in the Bible. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect environment. I mean, everything was great. Everything was wonderful. God had given them everything that they needed for life and fulfillment. They had fellowship with God. 
But sin came in. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now God knew where he was. He just wanted him to admit where he was. Where are you? And he, being Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Now notice, Adam has had fellowship with God, but we don't know any of his prayers. We don't know what he and the Lord talked about, but we know the one time that he and God had this discussion, he said, I was afraid, I heard you, so I hid myself. The first result of sin is fear. We become afraid of the one being that loves us, and that's Almighty God. The very person that created us in His image, the very person that gave His, his Son to save us, we become afraid of God, and sin makes us afraid of God. The result of sin is fear, and man's first response is to hide himself from God. The one person who can relieve him of his fears, the one person who can resolve the crisis, we want to hide from him. What you get from this is you understand that fear was never a part of God's original agenda. It wasn't a part of his plan. It wasn't a part of his purpose for man. And yet all around us is fear, and the media and the world and society and events pump fear into our homes 24 hours a day. You don't have to watch much television. You don't have to read much to be afraid. We wonder now, now that we've settled the Cold War, who really has nuclear weapons and where can they put them? And how easy is it for a high school kid to get on the Internet and learn how to build a bomb? And how easy is it for a, a student to walk into school and kill innocent people. And we live in fear. We let our kids off at school and we worry if they'll be alive at the end of the day because somebody else might go off the deep end. We triple deadbolt our doors at night because we don't know who's going to break in our house to try to steal our television or kill us to get enough money to do drugs for one more day. We live in fear. It's all around us. You see it on the eyes of people. I remember being in New York last year and walking down Broadway and, and those streets and just masses and masses of people and realizing nobody looks at anybody. Ladies clutch their purses to their side. Men walk with their hands in their pocket or on their wallet and they make sure that nobody touches them and they don't want to touch anybody else and they don't want to make eye contact with anybody because they're afraid. It's amazing to me that we live in such a great country and we can put a man on the moon and we can send a probe to Mars and we can build telescopes that see far beyond anything we can imagine, but we cannot make Albany, Georgia safe to walk in at night because of fear. Some of you don't get out at night because of fear. There are places in town that you will not go because of fear. And fear grips us and we're afraid. And why? It's because sin is in the world. 
and sin has inhabited this world in which we live, but God has not given us this spirit of fear. But he's given us a power and a love and a sound mind. Paul did not make any attempt to say, oh, there's no such thing as fear. He did not deny the reality or the fact of fear. He just states emphatically that fear is not from God. That you didn't get that feeling from the Father. And so I want to ask you to turn to two passages of Scripture. One is 1 Corinthians 15, the other is 1 John chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 John chapter 4. You see, our, our typical response is when we're faced with a problem, to be afraid. When we're faced with the unknown, to, to be fearful. And, and we fight and we claw and we dig trying to win. But God's Word says we don't fight to win. We fight from victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, victory is not something I win. If you're going to be victorious over fear, that's not a victory that you win by reading Norman Vincent Peale or by doing better or by memorizing something. It's not a victory you win. It's a gift you receive. It's already been won. Now, I want you to notice this verse. Just, let's just take this apart for a minute. The source of our victory is revealed in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. The source of our victory is God. Thanks be to God. Not my prayer group, not my church, not my friends, not some self-help book I've been reading. Thanks be to God. If you're going to have permanent victory, your thanks goes to God. That's the source of your victory. The nature of the victory is that He gives it. Who gives us? You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. You don't inherit it. It doesn't come to you naturally. God gives it as a free gift. Just like He gives salvation and victory over sin, He gives victory in the area of your fear. Who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the means of victory. It's through Jesus. So if God is the source, and the nature is that He gives it, and the means is through Jesus Christ, then our victory is a total victory. It's a daily victory, and it's an ultimate victory. It is a total victory because if Jesus Christ has overcome anything, He's overcome everything. It's a daily victory because I have to accept it daily. I can't depend on what I got yesterday. I've got to accept it today. And it's an ultimate victory because everything that I've ever feared, God has already overcome. And so God has given us this victory through Jesus Christ, and He is our victory. I, lo I love the psalm that says, Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We went yesterday with some friends to the POW exhibit in Andersonville. And I was captivated by that 27-minute video where they've interviewed former POWs from Korea and they had testimonies from people who were in Andersonville and, uh, from their diaries and, and World War II and Vietnam War and the Persian Gulf War. But one man struck me as different. Many of these people shared and they talked, but there was one man whose countenance was different and it, it was just one line but he said, you know, I know the Lord. 
And because I knew the Lord, I wasn't afraid of what they would do to me. Isn't that what the psalmist said? What can man do to me? If I know God, and God is in control, and God is on the throne, what can any man do to me? He cannot stop the ultimate purpose of God for my life. He can't stop me from being what God wants me to be. God has a purpose and a plan for me. I've just got to get in on it. Now turn to 1 John 4. 1 John 4. John gives us some great insights in this little epistle about love and fear. We have come to know and have believed, uh, verse 16, and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Let's look at the destructive power of fear. Look at verse 18. Fear involves punishment. I tell you, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're saved or lost. You know there's a payday coming. You know there's a day of reckoning. You know there's a day of accountability. You know there's a day when the books have to be settled. You know there's an audit. You know there's a judgment. It's just by our nature we know there's a day when we're going to have to give an account of our lives. The Scripture verifies that. There's a day when each of us have to give an account. And most people live in fear of accountability. They live in fear of that judgment. And fear involves punishment. Now, the thought of fear and judgment creates fear for three reasons. Number one, our sense of guilt. Guilt is, boy, I tell you what, it doesn't take, take much to motivate by guilt. I mean, some of you were raised in homes, and every day was a guilt trip. You weren't good enough, you didn't look good enough, you didn't do enough, you didn't say enough, you didn't accomplish enough, something wasn't right. And you lived every day under the bondage of guilt. Adam and Eve had guilt because they failed. The word guilt is used 30 times in the scripture, and it's always around judgment and punishment. We have a sense, oh yeah, I deserve it. Go ahead, kick me, you know, you know go ahead and hurt me. I'm, I deserve all this, you know, I'm a jerk anyway, so go ahead and treat me like this. And we're guilty. And a lot of American society lives on a constant guilt trip. And just about the time they think they're getting over it, it's like a roller coaster ride. They're plunging down to the depths and taking a short term, and they're right back in the depths of guilt again. It's guilt, a sense of guilt. Secondly, there's a lack of peace. Somehow, worry and fear sleep in twin beds. And Paul said, be anxious for nothing. We say, yeah, but Paul didn't have to live where I live. And because there's a lack of peace, because we don't know what that judgment might involve, we don't know what's ahead for us, we're unsure of the future. We're not sure how everything's going to pan out. We don't know if we'll ever get that phone call that says, you know, this is it. And so there's a lack of peace because there's so much uncertainty in this world. And we've tied our hopes to so many things that can come apart. So there's fear. But then there's a third reason. And what our guilt and our peace, hopefully lack of peace will do, is drive us to understand our need for Christ that we need somebody beyond ourselves. 
that we need someone beyond us, that we are not capable of handling our lives, that we stand guilty, that we don't have peace and we need help, and that help comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you remember all the times that Jesus said, fear not? The disciples were out there on the boat, fear not. After the resurrection, fear not. Don't worry about it. Don't be so uptight. Now, how could he say that? Well, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll see one of the reasons we know God could say that. Someone has said that there are 365 fear nots in the Bible, one for every day of the week, every day of the year. I don't know if you need a fear not for every day, but God said it over and over again, and anything God says over and over again, it's because he knows we need to understand it. So fear not. Hebrews chapter 4, I'm, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus came and died to free us from the fear of death. Now, whatever else man fears, man fears death the most. It is the subject that he least likes to talk about. People don't get wills because they're afraid, if I, if I get a will, I'm dead. I mean, literally. I've met all, I, can't, I can't get a will. The minute I get a will, I'll die. You know where that reasoning comes from? The devil. It's senseless reasoning. If I make plans for the future, somehow my future will fall apart. And we fear death. We fear talking about it. We fear going to funerals. We, we wonder, what will they say about me when I die? And, and death grips us and, and dominates us, and we're guilty and we're frightened. Did you see what the Scripture said? Jesus died to give you power over the fear of death. Now, when Jesus came out of the grave, you remember what he did? He conquered death and hell and the grave. So whatever you fear that's under death and hell and the grave, if he's conquered the big ones, he's conquered the little ones too. Whatever that thing is that drives you and frightens you and dominates you, if it's not any bigger than death, he's already overcome it. And you have no reason to walk in fear. You see, you don't have to focus on your fear. You can focus on the one who has power over death, who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. But notice the overcoming power in verse 18. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. You see, what John tells us in verse 18 is that perfect love is revealed in Christ that Christ did not come to reveal that we should fear God, but to reveal that we should love God and that God loves us, and perfect love is released in Christ. So how do you overcome fear? Let me give you three suggestions. Number one, there must be a confession of the Son, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. A confession of the Son. I'll tell you this, no matter what you do, no matter what you read, no matter where you go, and no matter who you talk to, until you settle a relationship with Jesus Christ, fear will always hang over your shoulder. 
It is only when you confess Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and put your faith in Him and not in your circumstances and not in your abilities and not in your reasoning and you put your faith in Christ that you can begin to overcome your fears. Secondly, there must be a possession of the Spirit, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. A possession of the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to us and lives inside of us. And the one who died to give us freedom from the fear of death now abides inside of us. And so if we are afraid, it's because the Holy Spirit's not controlling our lives. Thirdly, there must be expression. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Three things there. God has endued us with power. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. God's given us a spirit of power. We have come to believe in the love which God has for us. That's a powerful love. Secondly, God has enriched us with his spirit. God is love, and he has enriched us with the perfect love that casts out fear. He has enriched us with that spirit, and his love eliminates the fear, and God has enlightened us with a sound mind. You see, we don't have to believe our feelings. We can believe the Word of God. We don't have to stand on our feelings, which change with the wind. We stand on the Word of God. And that is an expression that we're to have. I love what Zig Ziglar says. Zig Ziglar describes fear as false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. That's fear. You see, when I start looking at something and I say, I'm scared of the dark. Why? Because I don't know what's out there. Don't turn on the lights, you may find out. There's false evidence that appears real and, and we look at something and we conjure these things up in our minds. We think, oh, oh, that, that, that could happen to me. There's no evidence that it can. Turn to Psalm 27. Great psalm on fear. You already know the first verse, but this whole psalm is really a psalm about fear. Psalm 27, the psalmist is writing, and I think he's writing to people here today who are struggling, who don't know really what's life got for me. What if I go to the doctor this week and he gives me bad news? What about my kids? What about my marriage? What about my home? What about my job? What about my health? What about my retirement? What about my security? All these things that put us in bondage. The psalmist says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is God's antitoxin, if you will. It's his prescription for fear. And I want us to just walk through and see the promises that we have in these verses out of Psalm 27 that relate to who God is. We've already talked in 2 Timothy about power and love and a sound mind, but I want to pick up with prayer in verse 4 of Psalm 27. One thing I have asked from the Lord. Let, let me tell you something. This week, this may sound weird and it may be hard to do. Take your biggest fear and don't pray about anything else this week. 
Just give it to God all week. This one thing I've asked of the Lord. Lord, here's this fear, here's this issue, here's this problem, and you know how I feel, and you know what's going on with me. So, Lord, here it is, and from now until next Sunday, I'm going to give you this every day. This is all I'm asking. Lord, give me victory in this area of my life. And just focus on that. Don't pray about anything else. Just focus. When you're asking, when you're asking God to do something in your life, just say, Lord, this is the one thing I'm asking you for this week. I'm not going to clutter up the agenda. I know I could ask you for a lot of things, but I've come this week to specifically ask you for this one thing. There's prayer, there's perspective. The verse 1, the Lord is my light. You know what light does? Light gives you perspective. It helps you to see your way clear. It reveals what's in the dark. I get perspective when I turn the lights on. It gives me an understanding of what I'm facing and what I'm dealing with. Lord, you turn the light on in my life. You give me the perspective you want me to have. I can sit down and look around and see my circumstances and my problems, or I can say, now, Lord, I just need to see what you want me to see. I just need to hear what you want me to hear. Don't let me hear the things that go creak in the night. Just let me hear the things that are real that you want me to hear. Don't let me see things I don't need to worry about. Just let me see the things that you want me to focus on. Let me see the things that I need to pray about. and Give me blinders so I can keep my focus on you. There's protection. Verse 2, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamped against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this I shall be confident. Verse 5, for in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. I want you to notice verse 5. Three times the psalmist says, he will. He will. Now, that's significant because he's claiming the protective hand of God that God will conceal him in a tabernacle, that he'll put him in a secret place and hide him, and he'll lift him up on a sure foundation on a rock. Three times he says, he will. This is what God's going to do. The Lord's my light. The Lord's giving me perspective. I'm walking in a prayerful attitude. These are the things God's going to do for me. He will do these three things. Now look at verse 6. We talk about worship. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Do you notice anything? He will three times, I will three times. Because of what he will do, I will do this. Because he will give me protection, I will praise him. Because he will provide for me, I will put my trust in him. Because he will honor me and he will protect me on all sides. I will worship him and sing praises to him. You see, I won't do that until I know what he's doing. Because I'm so feelings bound. We run our lives so much by how we feel and we praise God when we feel like praising God. But here's the man who says, God says he's going to protect me so I'm going to praise him. God says he's going to watch out for me, so I'm going to praise him. I used to have a little sign. I, I had a little Volkswagen when I was uh, a blue Volkswagen. wish I still had it. Sell it. Uh, but uh, I had this little blue Volkswagen. I had a little sign on it. It was during the Jesus Revolution when you, you know, put bumper stickers everywhere. You remember that little blue car, don't you? And uh, 
and, and it had a little sign. I put it right over that little AM radio that got one station, whether it wanted to or not. It was just a little sign about that big. It said, pray at the start, praise at the stop. Pray at the start. He'll protect you. He'll provide for you. And if you get to the end of the road, you praise him. He will, I will. He said he's going to do this. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That means if he said that, I've got a reason to praise him. He said, he will conceal me. I've got a reason to praise him. He said, he'll hide me. I've got a reason to praise him. He said, he would put me on a solid foundation. I've got a reason to praise him because I will do this because he said he will do that. See, God reveals himself and then he calls us to worship and to praise. Then there's hope in verse 13. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, he's acting by faith. I'd have given up. A lot of people give up. A lot of folks quit, despair, give up, bail out. He said, and I would have done that. But I just sensed that the goodness of the Lord was out there. And then the psalmist does something interesting in the psalm when he gets to verse 14. He talks about rest, but what he does is he quits talking about himself and he starts preaching. And he says simply this, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. The psalmist said, based on my experience and based on God's promises and based on the presence of the Spirit, all you folks out there that are worried about what's going on in your life, just wait on the Lord. All that false evidence that appears real, just wait on the Lord. Nelson Price was... Uh, our pastor when we were on staff at Roswell Street, and he wrote a great book called Shadows We Run From. And the opening of that book talks about when he was in high school and he was playing football, and you'd have to know Nelson. Nelson's about 6'4", and he's got legs that are 6'2". I mean, he's all legs, you know. And, and, and Nelson played football, and he ran a 99-yard touchdown. But right after he got the ball, he started, he looked over his shoulder to see who was coming, and he saw a shadow. And boy, I mean, he had those legs just pumping, just going, he's just going, and just trying to turn on all the burners, afterburners, and everything else he's got. And he gets about the 50-yard line, and looks back, and the shadow's still there. He's just a running, just running. He gets down about the 30-yard line, he looks back, he's just a running, he's just running. He gets all the way in the end zone. <sighs> he's tired, his legs are dying. He turns around and looks, and it's his own shadow. You know what most of us run from? Our own shadow. There's nothing really to fear except God. Roosevelt was wrong. He said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. My Bible tells me I don't have to fear fear. The only thing I have to fear is God. And if I fear God... He'll protect me. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed, please? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you as we begin singing in just a moment that you would come down these aisles and find one of our ministers and just say to them, I want to trust Christ as personal Savior. I, I want to ask Jesus to come in my heart. I am so driven by my fear. I'm so worried about what's going to happen in my life. I've tried to take matters in my own hands, and it just keeps messing up. And All you need is the Lord. You just need the Lord.
It doesn't mean all the fears are going to go away. It just means that somebody's going to be there with you in those moments of fear. The one who had power over death, the devil, he comes to steal and kill and destroy, but the Scripture says, Jesus says from his own lips to your ears, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God never intended for you to be dominated or driven by fear. God never intended for you to be under the burden of fear. God intends for you to walk in victory. And you can do that today by simply trusting Christ. Some of you need to take that big fear, whatever it is. It may be cancer. It may be your children. It may be your future. It may be your health. It may be your family. I don't know what it is. But as the Holy Spirit of God has personalized this message and these scriptures today, God's put something in your mind and in your heart and said, boy, if I could ever get over that one, I think I could walk in victory. And you need to take that and either where you are or at this altar, you need to come down and say, Lord, I'm tired of carrying this fear around. It doesn't fit me. It's not appropriate for me. It's not the way you want me to live. And Lord God, I'm giving this fear to you. And it's, I'm asking you to do one thing in my life beginning today. That's give me freedom over this fear that I have.